0: I've lived a
1: thousand this is the Happy Jacks RPG podcast a roundtable discussion that's a mix of friendship, humor, unbridled enthusiasm and tabletop RPG topics sent in from around the world just for- And welcome to the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast, Season 32, Episode 23. And my name is Kimmy. My name is Riley. And in today's episode, Mad King Christopher wants our judgment on his unorthodox spell use. Gerg Merg adds to our city campaign discussion from a few episodes ago. And Steffi from Scotland is back from her banishment and writes in with a horror story. Scottish
0: horror stories are always good. So so. that's the best. Or a Fang Rock Doctor Who? Ooh, I think it's I think it's Scotland. Anyway, yeah, probably it's it sounds Should be.
1: yeah. If you'd like to contribute a question or story to the show, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. Announcements: We are still preparing for Game Days on November fourth. If this is the first time listening to the show, Game Days is our free community gaming day on Discord. I think there's five or six games posted currently. They're all different things. There's an Alice is missing. There's the Reich, I think, is another one that's being re- run. It's like a bunch of great games, totally free. If you're on the Discord, that's happyjacks.org/discord and part of the community, you can just join. If you aren't part of the community, you can join and just play for fun. It's a cool thing, and uh, yeah. So again, that's November fourth, and the end of season thirty-two is coming soon, friends. Very soon. So we do twenty-five episode seasons now. It stays the same. So this is. Episode 23. So we've got two more episodes in this season. And then remember, we take a two-week break between seasons now. So that final episode of the season will be recorded on November 12th. And then we will be back on December 3rd for our first live recording of the new season. Season 33. Very exciting. Indie Designer of the Month last week for our friend Monroe Wellsoto, Soto. And he, they... And they have the best itch.io ever, (laughs) monroro.itch.io. And we love it. We stan it. And you can find them at Crow on Twitter. And this week, because we've been saving this game, because it's their super creepy one for spoopy Halloween, is Hear Her Weep. Hear Her Weep is a fast-paced card game inspired by La Llorona. And you get a group of friends together and see if you can survive or get drowned by her and her weeping. If you don't know, a little bit of a trigger warning. This is based on folklore, and most folklore around La Llorona deals with child death and infanticide. So she's a woman who suffers a great loss. Usually she, when her lover leaves her, she drowns their children and becomes like a vengeful spirit who haunts bodies of water and tries to lure unwary travelers and people to their death who are like, oh, there's someone crying. Let's go see. And then like, so uh yes a bad day for you. Super bad. So um there's a like super creepy awesome for Halloween if that's sh- you're okay for you. It's usually $3, but it's on sale right now for one fifty. So there you go. Go get hear her weep at menroro.itch.io. Thank you Monroe Wells Soto for being our indie designer of the month for October. Can't wait till next week when we see next person. It'll be very exciting.
0: All right. Let me get into this email. Email number one. Hello, Happy Jackers. I hope this email finds you well. I have a problem that you may or may not be able to help me with, but I do have a follow-up question that you may be more able to shed some light on. The first issue is a question of rules adjudication slash GM ruling. Therefore, I do not expect you to decide how it should be done, but I do ask for your insights on how it might be done. First, some background. Through a series of unfortunate events and bad decisions, my dragonborn rogue was momentarily lost in the astral. Fortunately, Hugin and Munin, Odin's crows, showed up seeking news of the realms for their master. Being befuddled and having no clue how to get home, my character decides to share his most recent misadventure. After a pause and shared glances, the crows shrugged. Thank me for my, first of all, I love the idea of shrugging crows. Thank me for sharing my story and then plucked the whole experience out of his head and left. Whoa, ooh. Oh, they I thought so a good DM move, like, I don't want to hear this whole story. Yeah, they, <laughs> they drank it, it's fine. I told it, I don't need to hear it again. Oh, they also dropped him off with his cohort who was finishing around who was fishing around the astral looking for him. So thanks, I guess. Now my PC only remembers being in the canoe just before the adventure began, and now he's being dragged out of some outrageous nightmare with no idea what's going on and that was the end of the last session. Mm. I've had time to consider, and I've decided that my character, having lost memories, would also lose the rogue level he gained on the adventure and gain a level in Aberrant Mind Sorcerer, as seen here. Mm. Well, as expected, my GM, being a good sport, approved the modification, but I want to do more. (laughs) Specifically, I want to reskin the light spell. The spell description says the light can be colored as the caster likes. This is normally overlooked but I started thinking on how I could funk this up. What color would be weird? How about black? Black, a pigment, as opposed to the lack of light blackness. What would that look like? I'm guessing like a black light. Yeah. But what I would think. That. Yeah. Or, you know, the dark saber. Aware this could be too creative, I approached my GM with this idea so as not to spring it on him mid-game and offered the following. Imagine this. <laughs> You're in a sewer in total darkness, not a speck of light to be seen. You hear the trickle of water flowing through the sewer and the musty odor of mold that must be clinging to the sewer wall. Then you hear it a squeak and the scratch of claws on stone. Is it one rat, one dozen rats, or one giant rat? You need to know. You cast the new spell you've discovered unlight. Out from your clutch weapon flows darkness, only not? Unlike the impenetrable darkness that was there before, the not darkness reveals the shape of the world around you. The round, red brick, grime, slime covered walls, the ankle-deep, grimy water passing beneath you, and the lowly, ordinary gray rat making its way towards you. All of it in black. What delineates one black from another? How can you see the red stone, green slime, or gray rat? They're all cast in a black light, and yet you can tell somehow. This is where my GM got confused. He had a question. GM, what advantages does this confer? Me, none, utter-looking funky, and mechanically functions as a normal light spell. If viewed from afar, you would stand out as an odd patch of darkness, revealing the PC standing in it. Is it supposed to be some kind of magic darkness, the GM asks? No, me. It's a light spell. I've simply chosen the color to be black. We should have read this as a script. We should have. Here
1: We can do that. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's yeah. go back.
0: So okay. let's, let's start from the beginning of this part. Okay. So I will be the GM, and okay. you can be me. Okay. Okay. What advantage does this confer?
1: None. Other than looking funky. It mechanically functions as a normal light spell, and if viewed from afar, it would stand out as an odd patch of darkness, revealing the PC standing in it. Is it supposed to be some kind of magic darkness? No, it's a light spell. I've simply chosen the color to be black.
0: Is it supposed to suppress normal light? Mm, mm,
1: no, it shouldn't affect normal light. It only provides perception in normal darkness. It would likely be suppressed by a more powerful darkness spell.
0: But, but light is what we see. How can you see darkness? That's not how light works.
1: It's magic. It doesn't have to make sense. <laughs> None of the game is real, and I, if you think about it, much of it doesn't make sense. I'm just offering a different way to describe it
0: in-game. In the end, I as the GM was very uncertain if it was <laughs> properly implemented in the game. Now I'm back out of character yeah, reading the email you again. <laughs> and see, Well, what do you guys think of my ludicrous idea? As I said, I don't expect y'all to throw out a right answer as if that, as that falls in my GM's department. I do, however, want your insight. Have you guys had a player come up with something so off the wall you're difficult incorporating it into the game? I mean, I'm trying to work with my GM And I've even said that if we couldn't come to some sort of agreement, i just stick to the basic rules as intended. Sincerely, the Duke of Delirium, the Lord of Lunacy, the Counts of Chaos, the Mad King, Christopher I. All right. I gotta say, I don't think this is as controversial as this GM is making it out to be. This sounds like flavor text 100% to me. This doesn't sound like an actual change to the mechanics of the spell. I think that being able to control the flavor of your spells, unless you're playing a very strict like, setting where magic functions in one very certain way that's defined by, like, the people who created it or something like that, I 100% think that it's completely acceptable to let players describe the flavor of the spell. In this case, I feel like maybe there's a miscommunication happening where the GM thinks you're trying to offer up a different mechanic, and you're just trying to describe how it looks. Like, you're like, no, this... mechanically, this is the light spell. It gives me the ability to see in darkness, that's what it is. But the light is a black light. Mm -hmm. And I I get why the GM is like, oh, that's not how light works. But like, it doesn't sound like you're trying to imply that this would cause like issues with, with like, like giving someone disadvantage because it's dark or whatever. It's like, if the light spell would work here, this spell would work here. If light spell wouldn't work here, this spell won't work here. Mm -hmm. And it's just, the description is somewhere you're getting lost in the weeds mm-hmm. of describing it to where I think what you're trying to do and what your GM thinks you're trying to do is not connected. That's yeah. that's what this felt like to me.
1: Yeah, it's funny because on the like cold read of this conversation, like the the GM part just seems like sort of baffled to me. Yeah. So I was like, is it supposed to do this? It's just normal light spell. Okay. Like yeah. they're definitely like, I think not getting that it's like, no, no. It's just like the sugar on top of the, the waffle. Yeah. Like it's like I'm not changing it, it's still a waffle. Like it just looks a little different.
0: Yeah. I would say to your GM, like, think about I already said it once. Think about the Darksaber. Like, think about it as a thing like that. The Darksaber is a lightsaber that is made of black light. Like, it's like, okay, but it still works. Oh, I have to love. Um, (laughs) I think this is definitely just maybe a communication issue more than as a functional issue. But to answer the other question about have you had people, I love this kind of stuff. When I role play as mages and as as clerics, I love to think about what my character, I think it's a great way to bring your character's personality and roleplay into things that could normally be bogged down with mechanics and roles and stats and stuff like that. It, to me, it's such a great way of describing how your character weaves magic, how they see the world. I think if your character has a cleric, for example, I think figuring out how their spiritual weapon reflects their relationship with their god or their type. Like, I had a, I, my favorite character, one of my favorite characters of all time is my Umberly cleric, and her spiritual weapon was like a black tentacle appearing out of like the void. And that was always such a cool, creepy vibe to me. That was like always fun about it. And one of my favorite examples of all time when I was playing the game was I had a, a player. I was also playing, but this guest player was playing a triton. And when she cast Fireball, the way Fireball manifested for her was like a vent of hot magma that would come out of the ocean floor. And the reason for that was because her character had always lived in the ocean. She would never have seen fire, uh, like, and uh-huh. so for her, what is like a very hot thing that would do fire damage? It's hot magma spilling out of a vent on the ocean floor, and she basically was like, "Oh, I created this character based around this visual image," because she was playing it for one game only. So she's mm-hmm. like, "I just had this idea of this burning like magma," and. But as far as the characters that it attacks are concerned, it does the same level of yeah. burning damage that a fireball spell would do. It just looks different. And I will say, as as someone... I write for D&D Beyond. I am not an employee of Wizards. I cannot speak on behalf of Wizards. I cannot speak on behalf of Hasbro. However, I will say that in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, this is 100% written up as a thing you can and should be willing to do in mm-hmm.
1: your game. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. One of my favorite things, like the very... Like, I mean, not the first, but like the main D&D game that we played ages ago that really started all this Happy Jack stuff and got me into tabletop was a 4E game. And it was like, 4E was like brand new. Yeah. And so I made Servant of the Raven Queen and they hadn't really, well, they hadn't released anything about her yet. Yeah. It was like the Queen of Death. It's like, cool, okay. So I like wrote all this lore and like they had the spells and stuff, but like there were no descriptions and it was like so much fun. I had so much fun like describing what everything looked like and who the Raven queen was for me. And like this, I mean, it ended up being so different than what they released. And I hated what they released Yeah, just because it was different. Like I don't, I probably would have liked it, but yeah. like for me, she was like this balance, like t- t- of life and death. And it wasn't, she wasn't like evil because yeah. it was like, it's a circle of life. Like death is part
0: of that and all this thing. But how she works in the Exandria setting that Mercer made up. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
1: But it's, it's so it's just great to have that freedom and and you can just go wild with it and that's what I think that's the most fun part. Like I think that's one of the great things about playing tabletop versus like doing video games and stuff because video games the spell looks the same for everybody. Yeah, and it's like okay, no matter what you want it to look like, that's what it looks like. And like tabletop, you can make it whatever you want it to be. Make it magma balls. Make it yeah, like blue fire or whatever. So cool. yeah, yeah, there's so many amazing things because it doesn't really matter what you to describe it as a lot, if you're using the same mechanics like who cares yeah
0: it's um, the fun of it it's, yeah. it's all fear of the mind so yeah even in this case like if your gm doesn't want to approve it like there's nothing to stop you from in your head imagining this is how it looks like that's that's like the thing like you know like most of the time you're just gonna say I, I cast light and then everyone can see like that can be and then your mind like but it looks really cool yeah like yeah the speaking of the raven queen before we move on to the next okay. Well, uh, I, They had an Unearthed Arcana for um, Raven Queen that never got published. For, it was it was a warlock patron you could have with her. Um, and like, part of what you got was like, a, basically a familiar that was like a raven that would do stuff for you. And it was so cool. So and I was cool. so sad they didn't use it. Mm-hmm. But I did play a, a, on that note of what you were saying, I played a death cleric, mm-hmm. which is like a really good domain. But I played the cleric like a Valkyrie. <gasps> and like, so I made her very. Like, I made her very gregarious and like. And her whole thing was like, death is your friend. It comes to you when it's your time. Yeah, should not be feared. Should be embraced. And so she was this very totally. gregarious, fun spirit, mm-hmm. spirit, like high spirits character. Because I was like, it's so easy to make a cleric of death and make them like like emo. groggy, <laughs> emo, and sad, yeah. or like suspicious, like a worm tongue type. Yeah. But instead, I I made this character who was like very like Norse and mm-hmm. like very like about like honor and, and also like and like befriending death and not being afraid of death and like like mm. the balance of life and death exactly
1: yeah so. like that's kind of what my character was not like like she was a priestess I think of it but she was very much like like a death doula almost like for those mm. of you who aren't afraid like that's doulas awesome. like help you with different things they have doulas who come like if you're having birth there's people who come and help you prepare to die you can have these people who are kind of experts in it come in and assist you and So that's kind of what she was, like the same thing, like death is part of life, like this is how it's supposed to be, like it was interesting because like (laughs) she wasn't the only healer in the group, she wasn't the main healer even, but like she had to heal sometimes, but it's like, I don't know, is it your time?
0: (laughs) Can I tell you that as a frequent cleric, my two favorite classes in D&D are bards and clerics, and clerics really took over for me as my favorite classes but I also almost never play clerics that are healers. Yeah. And it gets frustrating because I think people hear cleric and assume like, okay, we got our healer taken care of. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's even like a meme about it. It was like a TikTok video where the voice is like, who said I'm a healer? Mm-hmm. I don't have any healing spells. And it's like, because like my favorite cleric subclass in 5th edition mm-hmm. is the Tempest cleric. Mm-hmm. And Tempest clerics are basically four. Yeah. Like they have like their weapon attacks at a certain level, get like lightning damage added to your your strikes and, like, they have special things where your divine, your channel divinity does max damage on lightning and thunder damage, so if you do call lightning and you hit someone with it, and you can and also, this also works in Baldur's Gate 3, you can make a Tempest Cleric as one of your things, and you can just mess up mm. monsters with just, like, a call lightning <laughs> spell that does max damage. Nice. It's very fun, and so I'm like, no, I'm playing this martial weapon-wielding spellcaster, mm-hmm. and it's like, you want me to spend my like, my best way of healing is blowing up all the bad guys. We had, we played a game one time where I got dimension doored onto an enemy pirate ship. And then I, my co player described it as dropping off the nuke and jettisoning out of there because he dropped me off, left. And then I used a destructive wave and just got rid of everybody on the oh ship. Amazing. Great. Anyway, that's so cool. Yeah. Back to the email. Sorry. Yeah.
1: No, no, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, I <laughs> think I, before you go back to your GM, I think I would like, Consider a little bit exactly how you want it to be a little bit more. Like I love it. Like the dark saber is a great idea. Yeah. Like maybe instead, like it's supposed to light up places, but instead maybe it works like like night vision, like camera. Like everyone, when you cast it, sees like that. So it's like darkness, but they can still see. So it's still doing all the same things mechanically of the spell. It just has like a different flavor, and just be prepared with that description because I think that will be very helpful to your DM because I think your DM is like most of us when we're GMs and people ask for weird things are like wait what haven't I thought of what are you trying to do how are you trying to circumvent these rules they're just a little suspicious and rightly so because don't be
0: suspicious don't be
1: suspicious I mean players deserve a little bit of suspicion especially in like like games that have like kind of wiggle things like this where it's like oh no no it says and here not or and you're like Uh, shit. Okay.
0: Yeah, make Uh, it very clear that you're not trying to change the mechanics of the spell. You're just trying to describe how it looks or how it operates, Mm -hmm. how it visually appears. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And yeah, so I I think this is a very cool idea. I think it sounds like your GM, like it sounds like they're open to it and they're just not quite like wrapping their head around it. Yeah. And they'll probably be very supportive if you like, just go back to a little bit like a clear description and a clear idea of it.
0: Yeah, I think... Your example was great, the night vision thing. I think Darksaber, I think we were joking about it, black light, but the thing about a black light is like the light bulb doesn't, doesn't brighten the room up, but things glow and so mm-hmm. you can still see. Okay. I also think about what's the thing in Shadow and Bone that's like the darkness that crosses the land. Like I feel oh, like yeah. I feel like when you're inside that thing, there's a really cool, interesting like way that it looks. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's that gets more into magical darkness. But I think again, if you're just talking about how things look versus or it could even be. Oh, when the black light is on, what if everything's in grayscale, or whatever if oh, everything yeah. is a negative, like a photo negative, yeah.
1: like that? Oh, be- yeah, like with like Frodo and the Ring in the movie. Yes, and, like yeah, that's a great example. Like, like it gets like you know, yeah, like all weird, but like you can still see at least, and yeah.
0: you're like, oh, that's cool. That's, that's a perfect. create a really good. Yeah, those kind yeah. of things are really fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. That's yeah. very cool, and there's so much flavor there. And again, like your GM doesn't have to worry about you like like stretching or bending the rules at all. It's just like super flavorful and maybe some of the other characters in the party like hate it yeah because it's not like regular light turning on it's like oh man this is super creepy I don't like it it's every-. unnatural yeah
0: You <laughs> we were talking about Hadestown before we recorded it just yeah, ain't right and it ain't natural yeah, exactly yeah, yeah so good so yeah there's a lot of fun to be having and again like light is a cantrip so definitely don't like be like oh because i'm using this cantrip now i have darkness yes i understand why your gm is like i don't know yeah but yeah, yeah that would be my one
1: like hesitancy if i was dming this it's like okay black light like like a black light like when you shine things because then like you're like well like we've all seen so many crime shows it's like oh, okay now i'm using my black light to see is there blood here yeah, and yeah. you're like that's not what this spell's yeah. supposed to do. Yeah. So, like, like find a way to describe it. Like, I, 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 love the idea of like the ring and Frodo, like creepy, good, weird, blowy, like yeah. kind of windy but not windy, it's unsettling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of ghost looking. That's Ugh, very cool. Yeah. So you you'll you'll come up with something awesome, Chris. And I, I think your GM will probably go with it. Just make sure you're like super clear and like, hey, this is my intent. It will not be. I'm not gonna abuse it. <laughs> yeah. So, awesome. Write us back and tell us what how that goes. Yes. I would love a, a great another script, too. Like, if you can, like, yeah. recreate that conversation yeah. like you have with your GM.
0: Just make sure you write all the times your GM complimented you for how creative and clever you were. Yeah. I'm sure we want to build it, it, write that out. Yeah, especially if you used our ideas. <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right. Mailbag number two. Ahoy, Captain Kimmy and the Happy Jacks crew. I just listened to season 32, episode 20, in which someone wrote in asking for advice about a city campaign. I have some related experience, plus two additional questions. My group has been playing a neighborhood-focused cyberpunk game on and off for a bit. And here's some things that worked for us. One, it's been rewarding when PCs change the status quo in their faction, neighborhood, whole city, or whatever their scope of influence is. Our neighborhood is undeniably different because of the PC's efforts. The PC started the game with some level of reputation. It's helped me as a GM role-play NPCs well and helped get us immersed quickly. I'll just go through the list and then we can go back one by one and see how great they are. Number three, we fleshed out some of the NPCs and important locations in session zero. It wasn't released when we started, but maybe we could have used an award-winning game aid to help. All right, yeah, that's Decima. Hashtag? Okay. Was well, that That's the uh, R
0: D for your <laughs> for
1: your game? RPG. You can find it in cool Okay. You know how? Despite the GM's best laid plans, the PCs turn always turn left. In my experience, there are way more ways to turn left in a city than in a roaming adventure well, campaign. Yeah, there's lots
0: of alleyways and places yeah. to go down. Like it's like out a grid. Out in, out in the wild, <laughs> you're just doing a circle if you turn left a bunch. But in yeah, yeah. a city. All left turns.
1: Some advice that Stu often gave helped us. Know what the major NPCs, factions, etc. want and respond accordingly when the PCs barge in and fuck it up. Five. In an RPG game? I don't
0: think
1: what? PC? Messing us with the, the plan? Whatever. <laughs> all right. Number five. Have a sense of what the city, of why the city came to be here. A couple key industries, seat of political, military, religious, and or magical power, trade hub, all of the above. Knowing a couple of these things help Clarify the stakeholders and the stakes when you need to improvise. And six, competing and especially conflicting agendas between stakeholders that can seed plot hooks. For example, in our game, there are several competing visions for what the neighborhood should become. A real real estate developers, rival gangs, law enforcement, and ordinary folks all have different agendas, and members within those groups do too. All right, so let's go through that, and then we'll go on to the questions in just a minute. Sure. Yeah, I think that's. All super great advice. Yeah, I absolutely agree about the the knowing why the city was there. Yeah, because so often that that becomes like the skeleton and like the foundation of the town. Like if it's on the water in a bay, like it's gonna be a port town, or yeah. a trade town, or, or for sure. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Or maybe that's gone now, and that's yeah. like there's the a industry's big
0: industry's gone, and what what are people doing to make a living now? Yeah, yeah, mm. it's like this gaping hole in what used to be there. Or like a city where if you're doing a fantasy campaign, like, oh, a different race, like a different race had built this city, like elves had built it, and then they left, and now like warbs have moved in or 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 like various factions have kind of joined together and like the foundation or like I'm thinking i already like to use a, a sci-fi example, mm-hmm. how like DS9 is a Cardassian station, but it's being run by the Federation yeah. and like, joint Bajoran mm-hmm. staff, like it's like a whole thing, like Oh, we don't quite know how this stuff works and so we're trying our best and that kind of stuff. So fun. So interesting. Off.
1: Yeah. Very cool. So yeah, that was absolutely... Yeah, these are all great ideas. They're all fantastic. Yeah. I can't remember exactly. I feel like we definitely missed that one. That's an important one that we definitely should have talked about in our conversation. But sometimes you don't think of it when yeah. you're talking like off the cuff. And you live. don't think
0: about it with cities like how much cities change over generations. Mm-hmm. Like think about like it's kind of wild when you play, like when I played Assassin's Creed Ragnarok. Is oh that what yeah, it's called Valhalla. Valhalla, yeah. When you go into London and you're like the whole time, I'm like oh man, London's gonna be so big and cool. And I get there, and then you get there, it's like nope, it's like a four, it's like a I one horse town. Yeah, yep. and it's like there are bigger cities in the game than London, mm-hmm. and you're like kind of surprised by it. And it's like yeah, there was a point in time where that's that's like England was like a pretty undeveloped area, and the, yeah, yeah,
1: I one of the a big article i wrote years ago on my blog that went viral and now it doesn't even i don't think it's even up anymore was about wishing that i could get copies of assassin's creed games that were non-violent so that i could have students play them you can can
0: not so much the game itself but sorry at least odyssey i don't Mm -hmm. know about other ones but odyssey has a history setting where you basically just tour the locations and talk to people, and you don't actually have, like, the game itself being played. I gotta make sure. I think that's amazing. right. But like, okay. There's a setting where it's like, it's like a tourism, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. That's I, don't, I don't know if your kids, I don't know if there's a way to stop it so your kids can't get into the more violent version of it. Yeah. yeah it's Yeah, it's basically just, like, you're basically sailing around the Aegean and like meeting people and That's pretty like much that. how I played yeah. it. Like yeah. I was like, look yeah. at
1: me, this beautiful badass fucking woman, and I have a horse. Yeah. yeah. Look at the yeah, I was
0: I played that game so many times. I, I lost my I save just, and I was so sick.
1: I just ride around looking at myself. I'm like, this is yeah. my best life. Right I ride around here. seducing women. What? Yes. And yeah. uh, ride right around on my horse in armor, looking badass and fighting things. And yeah. yeah. But yeah, I
0: believe there's a, I don't think there's any plot when you do it that way. I think it's literally just running around and like talking to people, but it's still very fun and cool. cool.
1: I had no idea because I actually wrote that article before on the previous one, the the American Revolution. Oh, yeah. Which ended up not being good, but it was very interesting. That one
0: took me off the game for a while. Yeah,
1: it was very bad. But it was interesting, like, because there was so much history really being involved and having been to Boston and seeing how closely the layout really is and like how accurate it was and talking to, ben franklin and stuff like that you're like oh this is very interesting but yeah, yeah i can't I'm, like a,
0: jump and murder people <laughs> that's a series where yeah so cast mm-hmm. or education yeah. violence free tour that's basically what is also an odyssey mm-hmm. with assassin's creed not to go too far down this rabbit hole if so we have a question to answer <laughs> yeah i know but we, we my thing about this game series is that i'm almost always happier when it doesn't get into any of the stuff about like the pre the, the like originators or whatever and it's just I, but, just, yeah. I just just want the characters in the era that the assassin stuff is happening and I don't need... The only one where I think it really works is Odyssey and only because the way that they tie that stuff into Greek myths and the idea of, like, oh, the, the gods were actually these, like, Atlantean, like, beings and whatever. That's great. But then when it gets back into, oh, we have to do this stuff in the modern day to prevent that. an apocalypse, like, no thank you. No. I have no interest in it whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. At
1: least in Odyssey, you weren't some, like, douchey guy. Like, that was, like, the one saving grace. It was, like, I still hated it, and I still hated keeping, like, I want to play his, like, in this time period. That's why. But, yeah, they just will not let go of it, and it's the thing that me and my partner, like, complain about every time we play one of the games. Yeah.
0: And then Valhalla did a similar thing of making it cool how the, like, Norse gods were also meant to be Mm -hmm. these, but, like, once again, it did a thing in that game that made me so mad that I don't want to play any more games in that series yeah. until they resolve a certain thing. I don't want to spoil it. Okay, but for the for the listeners, a and the lot of people, people a lot of people had that same reaction. I there was a point where something changes in the game and I don't want to play it anymore because I'm skeeved out by what's happening from this moment forward. Yeah, and I was just like, why? Why would they make this choice? And like, why? Anyway, yeah, and I was just like, I was so happy being this cool, badass Viking lady running around and and pacifying. First of all, colonizing the UK is hilariously fun to do. And like, it's like, yeah. But yeah. yes. Um, As a Viking, yes. I think about how like, okay, this is my last very off topic tangent. I think a lot about how Mm. England historically is that planet from Doctor Who that just kept getting invaded. (laughs) And basically it feels like, like London just kept getting invaded or England kept getting invaded and conquered so much that they finally were like, fine. We'll go conquer the world ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just such a funny thing. It's like <laughs> everyone just kept sailing over and conquering the they islands. Like, well, this is what we do. Apparently, we're just we're yeah. all the survivors <laughs> of all these constant conquering. So now we're just going to go conquer. Yeah. Too. <laughs> I mean, it. I mean, it yeah. sort of makes sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, but kind of like why I brought that game up is like the world building and the planning. Even though a lot of it's based on history, and those games is really great. So when you really like think about that, like why was London there? Yeah. And like how it starts there. And the same thing when you are starting to look at like how these civilizations built up whatever period, it's like, oh, there's a river here. Yeah. Or there's this here. And there's always something that started it that will should still flavor the city
0: wherever it is now. Yeah. If it's in a mountain, it was probably a mining city. Mm-hmm. If it's a mining city, then you're going to have a stock that isn't really into like stone working and stuff like that. Yeah.
1: yeah. Like LA, like specifically, like I teach California history for fourth grade. And I always love the part where where we talk about Los Angeles Mm -hmm. and like talking about, okay, why is the movie industry here? Well, it was a place where people could get quickly and literally like they don't have green screens back then, kids. And they're just like, what? They don't have graphics. I don't understand. Wait. And then um, you're like, yeah, so Los Angeles, you can drive to the mountains and have snow. You can drive to the desert and film a Western. You can drive to the beach and film, like pretend like you're in Hawaii. It's like, it, because all those biomes were nearby within like an hour's drive, that's one of the reasons l a popped up as like the movie capital of the world. yeah. And they're just like, oh, it's like yeah, like there's there's reasons things ended up everywhere, which is why a giant city for thirty million people's in the desert, but
0: whatever yeah, and then had, <laughs> had to be irrigated and yeah, yeah. and then Jen Nicholson had to like solve a conspiracy theory as a whole yeah, it's a whole lot. <laughs> but I was cut off, yeah, all this
1: but so yeah, so like really dig into that when you're creating your cities, um, whether you use a Session Zero aid or a World Creation eight or not, those are great questions to ask. And they should absolutely lead into what NPCs are doing, what power brokers are doing, what different stakeholders
0: in the city want, even yeah. if you're like undead or cyberpunk or whatever. And I wanted to go back to that first one of rewarding when the PCs change the status quo. I think like going back to more video game examples, like, that's one of the fun things in some of the Grand Theft Auto games. Like, when yeah. gangs take over areas. of it. And the other games have that, too. And, in fact, Assassin's Creed has that. Like, yeah. you can decide if a thing is now under Viking control or whatever. Mm-hmm. But also, as I say, from a tabletop perspective, I think Blades in the Dark is a really good game to take inspiration from this, even if you're not going to play Blades in the Dark. Mm-hmm. I think the way that, like, when you get to downtime in between missions and between jobs, mm-hmm. like, the way you roll to see, like, Oh, what is what is our rep? How much heat is on us? Like how much influence do we have over this area of town now? I think those are the kind of things where even if you don't do them in a mechanical sense, I think as a GM running a city-based game, it's good to go, oh, what is the reputation? Think about what all your NPCs, like how much do people now know about these characters? Mm-hmm. Are they becoming like the folk heroes of the town? Are they becoming like if you were, if you were playing in Deadwood, mm-hmm. like how many people with people working on a mine out in somewhere, would they hear about while Bill Hickok coming to town and being shot to death in mm-hmm. a card game? Like, would that be something, like, would that be someone who would, would that be famous enough for it to spread out to people working just, like, regular jobs in that town? Or, mm-hmm. or would things be more self-contained within like, a specific sphere of influence and mm-hmm. like, that kind of stuff It's really interesting to mm-hmm. me, so.
1: Yeah. Another thing that you want to maybe think about is, like, urban legends. And I don't think we talked about that in the lap- last episode, but I think maybe because we were talking about hear her cries or hear her weep or whatever it was called in the first part i was like i'm now like in the la llorona like headspace mm-hmm. and i'm like oh man like that's super yes. interesting like what buildings in the area are haunted like is there a monster that people believe in in town and stuff like that and we're like well just superstitions which are always super fun to come up with and make and base that on the history of the place you're at
0: yeah i even i played a game one time that was based in like a fantasy version of Salem like mm. during witch trials. Yeah. And I, we were all playing kind of monstrous characters and I actually made my character like someone that people whispered about like she was like, oh, don't go in the woods or Patience Prim will her revenge. Like she mm. was someone who had thought to have been killed by witch hunters and then she was actually like a half vampire just a vampire. was like, yeah, don't go in the woods or Patience, Patience Prim will find the wicked men and take them out into the darkness or whatever. And Super that was who good. she was. And I'll, to build on that Urban Legends thing and combine it with what I had just said about what people think about you in the town. Mm-hmm. Also remember that like, especially if you're using a city uh, where there's not like print or electronic media and all story, not that facts spread easily even in a world with print electronic media, but if you're in a world where all facts are spreading by word of mouth alone, Mm -hmm. think about the rumor mill. Think about the game of telephone of like what the characters actually did to what like six layers of people and citizens removed from them or hearing about what happened. Yeah, And like, think about tales and legends that is spread think about William Wallace is six foot tall and he shoots fireballs out of his ass like yeah. that kind of thing is like <laughs> that can be really fun because mm-hmm. you can really twist the events of the game by how the people in the city hear about them mm-hmm. fourth or fifth or sixth hand.
1: or maybe they're just learning from it from like the graffiti on the walls like yes. I always love like Rome and like all those shows where it's like suddenly there's like Caesar with a giant fucking dick on the wall and like all these like off like they like, all the yeah. like graffiti of them like all the of all the rumors that are about all the politicians and all that shit and
0: I just yeah. love that. And that's a great example too because Roman graffiti, if in real life, mm-hmm. like they found a bunch of it in Pompeii and stuff like that. And a lot <laughs> yeah. of it is identical to graffiti nowadays. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of Roman graffiti that's about who someone's banging and how great it was. Like yeah that kind of stuff. <laughs> like there's bathroom wall graffiti essentially mm-hmm. in the city of Rome. Mm-hmm. And so think about when you have your character, your players wandering to a city. Think about what random things they're seeing on the walls of cities and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so back, you have questions still. All right, your questions were now for my questions. When I think of a city-based story or campaign, I think of a story that is not merely set in a city, but somehow centers it and/or its uh, centers on it and its neighborhoods, its factions, etc. But I'm having trouble thinking of a good reference media.
0: Hope. Well, good. We've just had a yeah, whole right. bunch of that. Yeah, listen to the episode of uh, Happy Jacks RPG that this is actually on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, listen Listen to all the things we just said before we read the end of your email. Listen all to right. uh, season 32, episode 23. Yes, it's super good. Oh, uh, it's a palindrome.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I can think of a few, including the original Happy Jacks Vampire AP, but not many. Do you all have any recommendations? Relatedly, the host recommended a city that should be like a character. Can the hosts of this episode think of an example or two of such city characterizations in the media? How does this work? Thank you, Gerg Merck. P.S. Traditional P.S. P.P.S. I trimmed this. I promise. PBBS Who else excited is excited for November Fourth Game Days?
0: Woo! I love that Gerg Merk said that they trimmed this, which is funny because it's definitely the shortest email by far <laughs> by that I think i have had tonight. in a long time on the show. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You're so good at reading. I'm just like, okay, Riley's here. We can like pick the long ones. I'm having with this. I,
0: mean, I think last time I got burned because I came in, I was a last to fill it, and I was like just recovering from being sick, so yeah. I, was, like, I could not finish reading things. <laughs> Yeah, we talked about a few things mm-hmm. that were real examples. City as a character. First of all, I think almost any, I hate to use police things as, as examples, but almost any cop show set in Boston, like you're like you're going to have that. I think that, yeah, unfortunately, a lot of those procedurals that are set in civic cities are really good examples of that. But I'm trying to think of non-cop things. Right. I think of fictional fantasy things too. Yeah. I think that, I didn't love this show overall, I want to say this, but I think the Apple TV series Silo, which is based on some books, mm-hmm. I think they did a really good job of setting up like how the silo operates mm-hmm. and how the silo works as a... like You get an idea of what the culture is within that. And I think a lot of that you'll even get like in the first episode. So it's not... A sh- if it, I have a lot of issues with it, but if you... If, <laughs> if it, a lot of people like it. I don't want to yuck or yum if you loved it, but I do think that it's a good example of like how especially like a, a unique setting mm-hmm. operates. Like I, I fully under, I fully believe in silo as a functioning society. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think because you, you like, you have like, Oh, you've got these two political systems that kind like a judicial and a executive branch that kind of conflict with each other. And you have this sheriff's department that also kind of conflicts with both sides of this sometimes. And you also have like sections of the city that function differently. And you have, it's a city that doesn't have elevators, so you have to go up and down stairs all the time. And So what effect does that have on the people who are at the lower levels who don't get visited as often by the leadership and stuff like that? So that's yeah. a good one. I would say also the Expanse series, yeah. I think you get a really good idea of what Belter society looks like versus what Earth society looks like versus even what Mars or, or individual ships look like. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think that Belters especially are the best example from that show of the city as a character. Yeah. I think King's Landing in Game of Thrones is a really good example of a city that, especially like the stuff with the eras when Tyrion is the hand of the king and he's doing a lot of stuff, like dealing with the functioning day in and day out yeah. of the city, which is why Tyrion, I think, is in my mind the one who ultimately wins the Game of Thrones because he puts himself in that power seat again. Yeah. And he knows what he's doing. <laughs> but they uh, do a good yeah. job
1: of that too, like having the different vibes of the different houses. Yes. So and and even like the the clothing and stuff is really different. Yeah, when you um, go
0: visit different a different like kingdom part of the, of the what is it 10 kingdoms or whatever the, the seven kingdoms. Yeah. They all they're different climates, different environments. Like Winterfell is very different yeah. than than King's Landing even mm-hmm. or Dorn. And yeah. that's a good great example. Of, like,
1: yeah. And it's part fashion. of their their like you can look at someone and be like, "Oh, that's someone from the north" or something like that because of the furs they wear, things like that. It's just, they do a really great job. I mean, there's a lot. It ends up being a big disappointment, so don't get super invested. But especially those first seasons, looking at it, they do a great job of world building and the different groups and cultures
0: from all those different places.
1: I think also, you already mentioned- You're
0: breaking news about disappointing ending (laughs) of Game of Thrones. I
1: I don't know. It's not news, but like just warning. Like
0: I don't want people to think I'm recommending it because it's a great, Great thing. But. I should also say, by the way, I just realized I've been talking about a lot of struck content, and I am, uh, I am on strike. I don't mean okay. to endorse anything right now. that's <laughs> struck. I apologize. I I'm, just realized I'm, I'm doing stop, it because I'm yeah. not. I'm not. Attack. I think I'm allowed to as long as I'm like just casually doing it and not like highlighting it. But, yeah. Like I think I probably should be more careful not to. But okay. uh, there's a meeting happening right now. Like maybe literally right now. But yes, yep. I, I should crossed. point out that okay. I am on strike. Yeah. I should probably be more careful with my references. I uh, yeah. And so these are these are silo books only and not the T V series. Only the books. Yes. Yeah. So, only game the Game of Thrones, of Thrones books. Yeah, yes. Well, actually I think Game of Thrones might even be a BBC type of that. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, and also the this we're not saying necessarily that you should go watch these things. Yeah. We're using them as reference points for what you can do in your game.
0: Yeah. So this is not I want to make sure you. that nothing I said is an endorsement of any of these things and I'm not promoting these things. Yeah, so. exactly. So
1: but these are ideas of what you can do. I am not and sag so uh, go education system my union doesn't care what i talk about as far as movies but i think also one of my favorite examples of this and partially because i've been writing a game that's sci-fi but ds9 is a really great example of it's not a city it's a station but like a community and there's like the commerce section and then there's like where the kids are and like so it's a really great kind of layer of different things too that you can really get ideas from like okay where they have like a Klingon restaurant and then they have also this one and then there's the bar everyone goes to and then, oh, they get upgrades to like what they can do in the bar and, oh, this is where like the administrative level is and this is, I I don't know, it's a very interesting thing and especially with when they start getting into the religions and the the history of all that things and the Bajorans, it it gets very deep and I think that's a great example of like world building that you can use and that you can like also kind of replicate with a game.
0: Yeah. I think from for TTRPG examples of things as well, we talked a lot about DD tonight, but I do think that DD source books that are set specific regions do a really good job mm-hmm. of breaking down those regions. I think that especially the crossover DD Magic Gathering for Ravnica, mm-hmm. Ravnica is a a plane spanning city. So it's like it's almost like Coruscant in that way. Yeah. And it does a really good job of the of like breaking down these districts and these like what these guilds are controlling this district or whatever. So it gives you a good idea of how to like run a campaign that is set on a city world mm-hmm. or a big massive city that's like if, if, especially if you never want to leave the city. Yeah, and it's good for a cyberpunk game especially. It's mm-hmm. like oh, I'm never going to leave this city setting. That's really good. I think that I just have it on top of me. I think like even like Faerun. I think that Waterdeep is very different than Neverwinter, which yeah. is very different than Baldur's Gate. So I think I think going like if you have dnd books already i recommend picking out the sword coast Adventurer's Guide because i think it does a really good job of like describing each individual city and i think just looking at those you'll get an example of like okay so it presents this city one way it presents this one this way this one's got this weird cult of three gods that people are afraid of this one has this lord's alliance that's anonymous this one has this like weird vein of magic that goes through it and that's why it's warm and they're like no come here and that's And then you go to the 10 towns, you're like, oh, this is like a cold, icy north. So there's like a lot of really good examples of different regions, how those areas built out cities within those regions, and then how those cities function. Mm -hmm. So that's a good example of that as well. Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah, I think. And then it's always going to be like close to my heart, but One Ring does a really good job of that, very specific for like certain areas, but the source books for. Free League's One Ring are just super awesome and have so much like flavor and stuff. And so that adds well. I mean, if you're a Tolkien fan, Tolkien tells you about places like a lot, like pages of like what food they eat in these places. <laughs> like, yeah. it's a lot. <laughs> Might not be your bag, but if it is, that's also a great like kind of like inspiration to be like, because he thinks about everything. Like he writes songs from the places and things like that and describes these places in detail the entire history of all these places. So yeah. it's like, you don't have to go that
0: deep. Yeah, <laughs> but, Tolkien's a class of his own. And yeah, it's also like, Tolkien especially is a good example because of what you're saying mm-hmm. because Tolkien almost, he, not almost, he explicitly tries to present it as these were all real places and real events and I have just found historical documents that I'm translating for people to understand what yeah. happened. And yeah. so like, I think that's why he tries so hard to Flesh it out as like this was a real world. This was this was a real era in Earth's history. Mm-hmm. And, yeah.
1: Well, and that's the part that he enjoyed the most. Yeah. Like he liked writing the books, but coming up with the languages of ah, each place. Such a nerd. So yeah, I mean that was the part he loved the most. And yeah. I feel like the rest of it, he kind of like, well, I might as I might as well keep doing this because like there were actually like if you read some of his documents, like reason he had like Elven language A do this is because of, in the history, and then it switched when they yeah. There's like the history. Like supports his language creation, which is just wild and amazing. It's
0: such a nerd! Such
1: great. a nerd! I love it yeah. so much. But anyway, so those are all really great things you can look at. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 so much fun. This part, I love. I love the world building so
0: much. Yeah. And not <laughs> to keep doing video game examples, but one last one too. Mm-hmm. I think Skyrim does a great <gasps> job of <sighs> each, even though it's all Nordic. Yeah, they're all is that what they're called Nords. Yeah, mm-hmm. all the Nords, even the different cities within the Nordic region mm-hmm. are still different like you're going to have the stoneworking city but you also have like i can't remember them all off the top of my head but you have like i've been playing so much bg3 that i forget the cities mm-hmm. in skyrim now yeah but like you have the city that's all run by the thief the, thie- the thieves guilds there yeah. and like maybe like the black briars like are like there's, there's like town like yeah yeah bribery happening but what's so fun about those games is how at certain times of day in the like the i guess Skyrim's the name of the country mm-hmm. Yeah, Riften. Riften is, like, yeah, yeah. full of, like, thieves. Markarth is all inside a mountain, and so people... Are, and you have, like, when you walk into different towns, like, in Solitude, mm-hmm. you know what, like, a mead hall looks like versus what it looks like in Winterhold, and yeah. you those kind of things. But also, like, at 5 p.m.-ish in the game, everyone puts their work down, and they'll wander into the pub. And you'll yeah. be in the pub, like... And someone would like someone whose shop you were in earlier now walks in and sits down and drinks. And like, it's such a functioning little thriving little town of AI.
1: One of my favorite things about, I mean, I've played so much of this game, like, wild. Like, I actually, we have a picture of our wedding party as Skyrim. Like, we all bought dresses awesome. and, and suits and stuff and like shredded them. And then we're all holding like weapons and there's a big giant de- dragon and behind us, like, we just fought a dragon. And it's it's an epic thing. We actually, it was like Kotaku did a big thing about it, and just because we so put funny. it on the internet because we're fucking nerds and that's what we do. But um, I was standing
0: up, Jack, but I took an arrow to the knee.
1: Yeah, that's no. What about? <laughs> it was, there's so many jokes. And then my my flower girl and uh, ring bearer Stu's kids were there, and they're like poking the dead dragon with stick. That's nice. like the thing. It's like that's a good one. the best. The internet was like, are, are those kids did You just serve sweet rolls. Yeah. But yeah, one of my favorite things in Skyrim is that the song, the music is so cool. Like the songs that the the bards, the NBC bards sing. But it, depending on where you go, it's different lyrics to the yeah. same music. So it's like, just like, like we have so many songs that go to, you know, folk songs, so many different versions that have the same melody, but are different. The same thing as you go through Skyrim, like there's different versions of the same song, depending on which side of the politics you're on. And I just love like things like that in world building too.
0: Like, yeah, it's so good. Skyrim's really interesting, too, because based on what character you create affects the way you're treated when you go into certain... You may not want to include prejudice and bigotry in your game, but you still might have, like... Like, for example, in Skyrim, if you're playing as an orc, you don't have to talk your way into the orc strongholds, Mm -hmm. those kind of things. So there are those kind of vibes, too, depending on, like... So, like, if you're building a city-based campaign your player characters, the factions they belong to will impact how those factions treat mm-hmm. them. And if you have guilds in your city, someone who's a member of one guild might not be as welcome in other guilds. Or, mm-hmm. like, maybe there's bad blood between these two guilds. And so, like, it's a Romeo and Juliet kind of vibe happening, those kind of things. So mm-hmm. that those are good examples, too. Of like, oh, how does character choices and creation affect how these other things will approach you?
1: Yeah, And even NPCs and their reputations with that. Because, yeah. like, In Skyrim, and I'm sorry, you you brought up I can't believe I I didn't think of Skyrim. It's so good. But like Ulfric is like one of the big characters in in the game. And depending on where you are, he's a criminal, a murderer, or he's a total hero and like freedom fighter. So Ulfric is like, depending on what city you're in, is totally different vibes, songs are different about him. So it's Mm -hmm. like, have that in your game too. Maybe the king is so beloved in certain parts of the city and not in others, or... If you have multiple cities, like have that happen, so there's there's not just one like straight. Everyone has the same opinion of this person.
0: And similarly, your own character, mm-hmm. because at one point, because of there's the war happening in the game, and you have the ability to flip who is in charge of one city or another, and then based on the choice, which side you side with, mm-hmm. and based on what choices you make, and how that affects a certain city. You might get treated differently now when you run. Like you, there's there's times where you go into a city and it now has a different leader than when you first got there. And then you might go to one city and in their basement, mm-hmm. like there's like all the refugees from the city that you like. You might go to, I think, Solitude, or and you might walk around and the people who were exiled from Riften are there and they hate you now. Yeah, you you've gotten them to lose their power. Mm-hmm. And that changes their vibe with you entirely.
1: Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So I know it's a video game and we're not a video game podcast, but there's so many great world building things you can pull from games like that that you can then use in your tabletop RPGs. Yeah. And
0: yeah, it's just... God, it's so wild that we're still this eagerly talking about Skyrim this long after they made it. Like yeah. it is... It's like, so long ago. I know they're eventually going to make <laughs> Elder Scrolls 6, but it feels like this is why they keep remaking Skyrim and releasing Skyrim. Yeah, they? It keeps getting people loving it. I know. Like how,
1: how could you ever... Like once you set the bar that high, like... How would you ever do? Oh. Oh, it's just so good. Yeah.
0: I think that's why they just keep pumping out Elder Scrolls Online stuff. It's <laughs> like yeah. a whole, whole new game. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. It's also middle. End. Okay.
0: Yeah. But anyway.
1: Okay. It, so. so I hope that I hope that all helps you. We actually have a group that plays Elder Scrolls Online on the Discord. Oh, nice. So, yeah. That's cool. So I keep meaning to play, but I like I have to go in and I have to re activate my account because it's been a hot minute and i'm like okay i have to figure
0: that out but i'm I just, allergic to them more because I, I wish i wish i liked them more i just i've dealt too many times with and i know there's like things that you can do differently but i felt too many times with people who are just like out to ruin your day mm. and i just i don't want that
1: i have the opposite problem where i become super addicted to them and then it's like oh it's 4 a.m i have to be at work soon i have to stop playing now
0: That's where I am right now at Baldur's Gate 3. I have to have my my friends who also have jobs have to pull the plug. We were literally playing the other night and I went, oh, it's literally midnight. And they were like, yes, we should be going to bed.
1: I spent most of my college experience online playing MMOs. I went to class because I passed and I have a degree. But like, is literally, like, I'd sit, like, especially on, like, Saturdays. Like, I was, like, living by myself. I was like, okay. Yeah. I'd literally log in when I woke up at, like, 9 and then play till, like, 7 the next day and then sleep and then wake up. And then, like, I yeah. had, like, my little fast instant food that I'd eat while I play. It was wild.
0: I think that I was always afraid that would become me if I did it. So I, like, avoided it. And I yeah. looked like, oh, I don't like it because of this. And then I would just never get into it because yeah. of that.
1: Yeah. I have a hard and fast rule now. I have to play MMOs with people I know in real life. That's good. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how I then like got into WoW and since so I was playing with a bunch of real people from Peppy Jacks and Fair and stuff. It was like, hey, Kimmy, you have to work. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: To, yeah, I'll see you later. That's what's fun about BG3 is I feel like I'm playing the tabletop game with my friends. It's just mm-hmm. like on a virtual tabletop, basically. Yeah, yeah. And it's like very fun. That's super cool. All right, should we move on to the Mailbag 3? Yes, yeah,
1: Mailbag 3. All right.
0: Greetings to the great D-Banner and the courts of esteemed bodies. Oh, it no. is I, <laughs> Steffi from Scotland, as I have finally been released from the ban on writing in emails, I have two obligations. The first, freedom. And of course, the second is to write in an email. No, 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 We have to do this as you would as, as a Scots. Okay. Freedom. I think I thought I was doing that. Yeah, no, it's like. But I also was afraid that I, I, as I was doing it, I'm like, am I violating my my strike as no, I do this? Yeah, yeah,
1: no, that makes sense. I can do it. Yeah. Uh, Mel
0: Gibson is a dick, but yeah. like, it's a moment. Yeah, but yeah. And, of course, second is to write in an email. Today, I will share a horror story of another time I was banned. Well, is it banning if it's just blocking and ghosting? Minor details. Oh, yeah. I was part of an online group for over a year and started over a year before I joined, so it seemed pretty solid. It was good. The plot was good. The shipping was delightful. The people were fun until they weren't. The GM embraced my out-of-the-box character ideas and made sure to bring me into the plot quickly. GM invited me to other games. I was in three that he ran when I woke up one morning and suddenly it was blocked and no signs of the servers. I reached out to the friends I had on the servers and most were equally confused by their banning. I did enough online stalking to check that GM was alive and nothing happened I've been working on letting it go for over three years now, longer than I've been in the group. It's not the game, as fun as they were, but the sudden blocking with no warning sign. There were issues with other players. There was an aggressive jackass who I flagged as a problem player on my first session, but he missed a lot of sessions so didn't have to deal with his fucking bullshit. I told the GM that I wasn't leaving any games, but I wouldn't start a new one with him in it and completely respected if he chose the other guy over me for that game. There was the passive-aggressive jackass, Jack Ass, who I called out on calling my character useless because of the luck of the dice gods. She was eventually kicked for unrelated reasons. There were issues with, Unintentional sexism from another player that I had an adult competition with, and we're still good friends. Someday the planets will align and we shall get to play again. So, over the years, I have wondered if I was the problem. The answer I came to is of course not. I'm wonderful. <laughs> While I might have been a common denominator in a lot of these things, I feel that it was because I was not or being stepped on. I, in all seriousness, I have no fucking idea if I was part of the problem, and I have gotten to a place where I'm past caring. There's no adult conversation, and while I can understand ghosting a problem player if they were a threat, I had trusted this GM with how vulnerable I was. I was pissed, but I'm over that now. I still miss the GM and the good people in the group. I still think about the games that I put a lot of emotional labor in, but I'm not angry or sad anymore. I'm not wasting any more time thinking about what co- what I could have done differently. I am proud, not only of myself, but of the GM. Finally, he managed to kick out people he didn't want in his game. I can cheer on a friend for that even if I was the one suffering. So let's not end on a downer. I'm going to be joining a new game and I will be rehashing one of my characters from these unfinished games. There will be intentional differences, but the emotional beat of the character will be true to the original. I will never get closure, but I'm now ready for one of my favorite characters to quest for it once again. Steffi from Scotland, Steffi only that scored.
1: Oh, Steffi. Yeah, that's super hard. Yeah. And I mean, we do give that advice we, for people. Like, hey, like, like it's nice if you want to have the adult conversation. If you don't have the emotional bandwidth, then yeah. like you shouldn't feel obligated to do that. Yeah. I'm sorry that you were on the losing end of that. It sounds like there were lots of issues in these games and like yeah. multiple not great people. So that right there makes me kind of question the GM like if it's yeah. if you already have a game that has that many problems, like I don't know, that 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 usually is also indicative of kind of like the GM being a little bit problematic?
0: I went through a situation similar to some of the stuff that Stephanie's describing here, where we had a GM. I played a lot of games online during lockdown, especially. Mm-hmm. And like a game that I was in that had previously had a hard time scheduling sessions, suddenly we played a bunch. And we were all stuck at home. We could play on on Roll20, and it was great. And then I had so much fun in that game that I was invited into my GM's other games, and it was very fun. But then we started having issues with that GM. And then we, to the point where we had to have like a sit down meeting with him of like, hey, here's some stuff that you have done that is bothering a lot of us and we need to have a meeting about it. And then turned out around the same time, he had another group where something happened that was unforgivable. Mm. And everybody basically who was playing with him at that point were like, we're done playing with you. We're not doing this anymore. So we kind of, we didn't ghost him. Like we said to him, like, you've made us uncomfortable. We found out what you did to this person. We're not going to be part. So it was very hard. But similarly, it was also like, oh, yeah, it does make sense that we, in multiple games that I've been in, we've had to have sit-down meetings with you about behavior and things that we won't accept at the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an ongoing issue. Yeah. It's tough because, yeah, you do get really invested in the games. You do get invested in your character. You get invested in the relationship your your character has with other characters. Yeah. It is hard to have that suddenly stop, especially if you have no idea what could have caused it. Like, it'd be one thing if this was like, oh, I had this argument, and then the next day I was out of the games. But if you we were completely blindsided by it, like, this sounds like Steffi was here, Yeah, that's rough. But at the same time, you're right. The GM, if there was something that made the GM that uncomfortable, or maybe they wanted to clear house with everybody who had caused problems, or, compl- like, Steffi lists all these things that are like, oh, this person I had a problem with, I had a problem with this person, there was issues with the sexism, like, Steffi might be like, yeah, I resolved it. I felt great about it. The GM might have felt like, oh, this person keeps complaining in every game that I have them in. And they think that they're like, you never know how you're being seen through somebody else's eyes. And so it does make sense. Unfortunately, sometimes it just happens that way. And like, especially if you're doing online gaming and it's like a lot of text-based communication, Mm -hmm. there might be a lot of like terseness that's being read in text that's not intentional in real life. Mm -hmm. And that can be a thing. The one thing I would say I know this was just a sharing of a story, but one thing that helped me a lot when I had those two different games where characters that I cared about and stories that I cared about came to an abrupt end. Similar to this, I have brought one character back for one-shots once in a while, Mm -hmm. so I guess, like, jump into her for a little bit. But I kind of wrote for myself what I think her future would have been. Mm -hmm. I kind of, like, that was kind of my way of of sunsetting that character, yeah, it was like, and it made me feel like I had closure for that character. I felt like even though I didn't get to see how this campaign would have played out, mm-hmm. I got to go. Okay, I know, I know what happens with Ashara. Like, I know yeah. she ends up whatever. Like, I wrote a whole ending for her, and like, I kind of talked to some other players who had also felt it, and they were like, "Yeah, I think my character would have done this." And mm-hmm. I was like, "I think there was one character. I'm like, I think your, I think your character might have become her first mate on this pirate ship." And he was oh. like, "Yeah, I think that would that make." they already kind of were in game anyways. I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I think we would have done that together and it would have been great. That's and so awesome. I think that might be useful. It sounds like Steffi's already kind of doing that by bringing his character into a different game. Mm-hmm. But if you do have any feelings of like, if, that's my advice for in general for people, is if you have a game that you really were invested in and it kind of comes to an abrupt end for whatever reason, I highly recommend not unlike sitting down and writing a backstory for your character prior to game, I recommend sitting down and writing down an epilogue for your character after the game. And think about it in terms of like movies where you might have had this adventure or this story in the movie, and then at the end you get the like text of what that person does after the movie's over. Just think about it in those terms. Think about it as like, okay, we had this cool little quest, and then this is how I see the rest of their life going.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm gonna, because I think this is, is the best way to end this, I have a story to tell. Couple of weeks, months—I don't know—I was at Big Bad Con, and I'm like walking around, and I'm passing, it, and I'm putting out like Happy Jacks flyers on the tables, so like people can find us if they're into it, because like like they're it's an indie con, so it's kind of like our scene. And I'm—I had someone who was a, a player in one of my games. I'm not going to say their name. They're kind of a well-known person in like Powered by the Apocalypse specifically, and she was like, "Oh, oh, are you involved in Happy Jacks at all?" And I was like yeah, I kind of pretty involved. Yeah. Own it and run it. And I was like, I didn't know it. I was like, also like, oh, you're talking to me. And then she was like, oh yeah, I'm on, I'm on the discord. I didn't really know it was like a show or anything. I'm like, that's okay. It doesn't matter. And this person actually said that they were in one of Steffi's games and that it had been amazing and that they were shocked, like joining an online community, like, not knowing anybody and they just kind of on a lark like joined a game that had been a great experience. So Steffi, you're great. You're doing great. You're amazing. You're doing us proud. We love you. And I'm sorry that you had this hard experience, but we love you and you're doing amazing. And I, I agree. You are you are amazing. So you are wonderful. And you should know that about yourself and
0: keep it going. Love. In general, I don't think every player and every gaming group work together yeah. and I think that like it sounds like what you're looking for in a game you're able to find better elsewhere Yeah, and it's sad to miss out on things but I think it's really great that you have realized about yourself that like I don't want to let this thing eat me up inside anymore like the thing you said in your email here about oh I've actually been obsessed with this longer than I was actually playing with this group yeah. and I who amongst us hasn't like had a relationship that ended and then you think about it longer than most of itself lasted that's like a pretty mm-hmm universal thing but I think it is very healthy to go you well, know what I can be moving on and yeah, I'm okay with it yeah.
1: personally Jeff in first grade who told me he couldn't be my boyfriend because I said the Pledge of Allegiance too loud is still something I think about that's sad but we all have those things yeah of course like <laughs> yeah. I just remember the and I never and I stopped saying the Pledge of Allegiance so the, which I mean like, I mean, he did your favor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in the long run, but... I don't uh, want to agree with Jeff on this one, but, but I think I might agree with Jeff yeah, on this he, one. he knew... I mean, like he
0: that. could have maybe been like, hey, can you try turning it down before he just ended things with you? Yeah, I know. But, but
1: yeah, it's just like... I mean, in the long run, he was right. I'm like, all right. But anyway, so yeah, Steffi, you're amazing. Thank you for repping us so well. And I'm I'm super proud of everything you do. You're amazing. And I've never heard anyone that I know like not love being in a game with you, so... Anyway, game days, if you want to play the Steffi.
0: Uh, and I, <laughs> November 4th. <laughs> my own disclaimer is that I've never played with Steffi, so none of my commentary was specifically about Steffi. It oh, yeah. was very much about the idea of the concepts being talked about here. So yeah.
1: well, I think that's good. Like okay. Yeah, they, that's a good balance. Like yeah. me with like my adoring praise and you being like the balanced like. Yeah. I just want people to
0: like, wow, Riley really hates playing with Steffi. I'm, like, <laughs> I've never played with Steffi. Right, I have yeah. no idea what Steffi's games are like. I was coming from my own experience as someone who's been in games that ended and for very good reasons that yeah. I... It did not yeah. come off that way. You're yeah. good. Okay. <laughs>
1: Thank you for joining us for Season 32, Episode 23 of the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. Please support our amazing Indie Designer of the Month, Monroe Wells Soto. He, they, at Monroe.itch.io. That's the little time I get to say that. Okay. Thank you to our chat mod, James V, and to our amazing Patreons who keep us ad-free and independent. You can join their amazing ranks at happyjacks.org Patreon. My name is Kimmy. I'm Ed Riley. And today we're going to leave you with a song called The Wellerman, sung by Stu Venable. And you can find his, I think, now defunct, like, folk music podcast that he ditched us for at <laughs> netbusker.net. I think the last episode was out in, like, July or something. I don't know. But anyway, the Wellerman. And we will all see you next week. Bye. Bye.
2: There once was a ship that put to sea, and the name of the ship was the Billy of Tea. The winds blew up her bow, dipped down, oh, blow, my bully boys blow. Soon may the Wellerman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tongue it is done, we'll take our leave and go. She had not been two weeks from shore, when down on her, a right whale bore. The captain called all hands and swore he'd take that whale in tow. Soon may the wellaman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day... When the tongue is done, we'll take our leave and go. Before the boat had hit the water, the whale's tail came up and caught her all hands to the side, harpooned and fought her when she dived down low. Soon may the well men come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day... When the tongue it is done, we'll take our leave and go. No line was caught, no whale was freed. The captain's mind was not of greed, But he belonged to the Wellerman's creed. He took that ship in tow. Soon may the Wellerman come To bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tongue it is done, We'll take our leave and go. For forty days or even more, The line went slack, then tight once more. All boats were lost, there were only four, But still that whale did go. Soon may the Wellerman come. To bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tongue it is done, we'll take our leave and go. As far as I've heard, the fight's still on, the line's not cut, and the whale's not gone. The Wellerman makes his regular call to encourage captain, crew, and all. Soon may the Wellerman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tongue it is done, we'll take our leave and go. Ha-ha! Soon may when come to bring us sugar and tea and rum one day when the tongue is done we'll take our leave
1: and go ha! this show is a product of the happy jacks rpg network the mary seuss performed our intro music and our ending song was played with the express permission of the artist visit happyjacks.org for more information and to find all our streams and podcasts